like to get into our talk for this Sunday, into our homily, our sermon. Uh, we are starting a new series today. This new series is called Living Together, hashtag Living Together. I realized after the fact that this sounds a little shady, but we will provide new meaning so that whenever somebody Googles Living Together, they will find us instead. So hashtag Living Together, this is a way to socialize it. I want to say that as we start this new series, Living Together, it's a study through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. If you can show that picture on the screen, Life Together. How many of you have ever read Life Together? Raise your hands. So a few people have read it. Um, we have copies here, 20 copies that are free. They're free. And so when we have communion at the close of our service, you are invited to take a copy of this book, one per family. One per family. So one copy, and these are all free, and they're for you. And as we go through this series for the fall season, Life Together, you can read along. And uh, there's a lot of tie-ins. Um, Life Together speaks about this new Kingdom City experiment. We can talk more about that in weeks to come. And how really this is an opportunity for us to learn how to live together in Christian community, even, even in a bigger way, beyond Woven. And also, as we start our woven groups, I, I'm going to keep plugging this. Community happens, in some ways, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning is not enough. That's just the start. And so community means more time together, Saturday brunches, lunches together. Um, Andrew, my family, is going to be one of the hosts. We plan on hosting, and we'll break out the Korean barbecue for everybody. So count us in. So that's happening. We'll set a date for that. But... You know, Woven Groups is where the community experiment really takes place. So let me talk about life together and introduce, first of all, the man, Bonifer, Dietrich Bonifer, the man behind the book. Dietrich Bonifer was a German Lutheran pastor around the time of World War II. How many of you have heard of Bonifer in passing? So Bonifer was famous um, for... Uh, going against the Nazi Christian compromise that took place in Germany at that time. Christians were kind of going along with Nazism and were following Hitler, and Bonhoeffer said that's, that's obscene, that's wrong. Not only did he protest that, he got involved in a plot to overthrow Hitler. And you can read all about that. Ultimately, he was caught, he was imprisoned, and then days before the end of the war, he was executed. He was executed. So in that regard, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr for his faith. And when you read this book and you get past the introduction and into the first few pages of his writing, you will actually see how a man can end up living like that. His first few pages actually anticipate what is to come. It's eerie. It's eerie. So you can hear about what's, you know, this, this is his ethical stand. Bonifer was not just a Lutheran, German Lutheran pastor. He was also an ethicist and a scholar and a theologian. And he was not somebody that was just pie-in-the-sky ideals. He said, if I believe this, I have to live it. I have to live it. He was a realist. And so in that regard, reading this book, it's deceptively simple. It's deceptively simple. The language is pretty easy. It's accessible for everybody. But then you get to the end of chapter 1, past page 30 or so, and you might start getting a little lost. 
And that's because that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the ethicist, speaking. The, the theologian, the scholar. And understand, I'm not interested today in teaching ideas or teaching ethics. That's not my job as your pastor. My ambition is to talk about these deep ideas and to ask how they transform our lives. Bonifer was not just interested in ideas. That's what led him, in the end, to the Gestapo and to imprisonment. Because his ideas had to have practice, or the word praxis. It had to have feet. And so my approach in this series is going to be twofold. First of all, I want to talk about these ideas with feet. I want to talk about Bonifer's ideas that walk, that say you must live this way, live this out. But secondly, because we are not the church of Dietrich Bonifer, we're not preaching Bonifer. Secondly, what I want to do is take these ideas of his that have feet and put them into conversation with the Bible. And put these ideas into direct juxtaposition with Scripture so that we can hear the truth in what he's saying in light of Scripture, in light of Holy Writ, that we can wrestle with what's, what's being said to us. Now, when I read this book, reread it, this was probably my fourth time or so this past week, at, what, at one point I found myself on my knees, on the verge of tears, having a reckoning. This book and the ideas in conversation with Scripture should have that kind of effect on you. So, allow me to introduce us to this first big idea that Bonifer talks about as I interplay it with Scripture. That first big idea is called human love versus spiritual love. Human love versus spiritual love. Now, if you are reading this book and you find that by page 30, you're a little bit, I'm confused, I'm lost. What is he talking about? This is too much philosophical for me. Then ask yourself, is he talking about human love? Now, by the way, human love is not, it's imperfect love. It's flawed love. The love that I have for other people, it's not going to be perfect. It's flawed. It's tainted. But on the other side, there's spiritual love, which is pure, which is the highest ideal. So these are the two loves that he talks about. Ask yourself as you read this book, if you're confused, is he talking about human love or is he talking about spiritual love? Is he talking about this impure love, human, or is he talking about this ideal, spiritual? That will help you to understand as long as you think of things in those two categories as you read this book. So let's start off with that first of two headings that I'm going to talk about today. The first half is human love. And describe what this human love, this imperfect human love, is all about. And I'll set the stage with a scenario. Now imagine it's the dead of winter. It's January. It's freezing cold outside, so this is obviously not Houston. And it's somewhere up north, and there are five people outdoors. They are huddled together trying to stay warm. It's freezing cold, and isolation means death. Isolation means death. And so these five people are huddled together. Now the question that I ask you as you picture this scenario in your mind, the question I ask you is these five people, are they trying to keep each other warm? Or are they trying to keep themselves warm? Of course, I think of the ultimate act of sacrifice 
Jack dying for Rose in Titanic. There's only room for one person on the plank, and so he turns into Popsicle Jack and fades into the water in the ultimate act of giving. No, you stay warm. You, you, you have the plank. I will freeze to death for you, the ultimate Christological act of sacrifice. That's why we love Titanic, because it talks about spiritual ideals. But what Bonifer is talking about is that in this huddle of trying to stay warm, we can talk about how I'll keep you warm. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hold you. I'll keep you warm. But there is also a dimension where really we are trying to keep ourselves warm. In other words, I think what Bonifer is really trying to say when he talks about human love essentially is that there will always be self-interest involved. Somewhere there is always me when it comes to loving you. Something about it meets a hole in my heart. Somewhere deep down inside, I am having a need fulfilled. I am having a want or a desire met. Me, somewhere, self-interest is involved. And Bonifer, he, he can get a little bit morbid here. Listen to these words. He says, human love. When we love, whether it's love my spouse, love my neighbor, love my children, love my church. When we love, human love continues to desire, even when it seems to be serving. And he says, the basis of all human love is the dark turbid urges and desires of the human mind, it is the night that hovers over the sources of all human action, even over all noble and devout impulses. What he's saying is examine your true motives. I remember uh, being up in New York um, for my uncle's funeral last December. It's cold. It was cold. We were outdoors, and I was wearing the, the warmest clothing I had from Houston. <laughs> it didn't keep me warm. And my mom, she kept trying to put a coat on me. The th funny thing is it was her fur coat. And I was like, Mom, I'm fine. She said, no, 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 here. Mom, I'm fine. Here. Mom, stop. I'm not going to wear your fur coat at the funeral. Part of me wonders if she was, she was cold just looking at me that somewhere deep down inside I have a need, I have a hole, a hurt. And until it's met from you, this inner desire within me, this self-interest is never going to be met. You might say, that's a, little bit, that's, a little bit, that's a little bit morbid for me, but it's not far from the Protestant Christian doctrine of depravity. So what Bonifer is talking about being a Lutheran pastor and Lutheran going all the way back to Paul in the book of Romans essentially is this old idea in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 3. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 7, in other words, I find evil is present in me even when I want to do good. So in other words, there is always an element of self-interest in everything I do, in every interaction. 
Bonifer is basically pulling back the veneer of all nice and polite relationships and saying, what do you really, really want from that relationship? What is that hole in your heart that's not getting filled? And the funny thing is, this is not just in interpersonal relationships. We see it in family dynamics. It's my mom constantly putting the coat on me when I say, I'm good, I'm good, don't need it. It happens in interpersonal relationships, even for those of you that know that I'm doing my studies these days in economics, faith, and work. And I'm doing my doctorate of ministry at Fuller Seminary. And I'm working towards that. I'm going to be there in, in about a month. And I just invite you as congregation, if you could just pray for me. Um, I'm meeting, I'm in the process of meeting all of my financial needs there and getting together uh, with uh, the right people to make sure it's a positive experience. But even in economics, I'm learning. Even in economics, there is no completely charitable work. Everything involves self-interest. Am I right? That the only way our market, our free market is driven forward is if I stand to gain something from this. So what Bonifer talks about, and he takes us to the next level, he talks about all interpersonal relationships standing to gain. I'm doing it. There's something inside that I'm looking for, interpersonal, family relationships. We can talk about economics. But even in the church, that's our landing place for today. That we come to the church, even the church, even the church, we come to the church with subtle needs that we're not aware of. Subtle things, I need these things, and we come to the church, those needs hoping that they will get met. But what happens is from place to place, bouncing around from church to church, we don't find those needs met, and we get wounded in the process. I remember 25 years ago, leaving the church that I grew up in in New York, very, very angry, and finding so many things wrong on the other side. They were controlling. They did this to me. They did that. But as the years went by and as I began to heal, I began to recognize that I also, I also had a hole in my heart with deep needs that I wanted to put the church in there that could not meet that. This is the essence of human love that Bonifer is talking about. What he's saying is the church is not exempt. Even the church hides the deepest, darkest things. And you can see this in the Gospel of Mark, that the first exorcism that takes place in the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 1, where does it occur? In the synagogue. You see, friends, demons like to hide in holy places. Demons like to hide in the holiest of places. Why? Because the holy places are where weak people like to go to church. We like the church. Why? Because I have needs. I have a black hole. Meet my needs. Fill me. I come to the church. And that is where all of our toxicities play out. And Bonifer, he's so keen on this. He's so keen. He says, thus, there is such a thing as human absorption. Absorption. 
The human, the human soul, it seeks a complete fusion of I and thou. I don't want to just respect you as another person, Byron. I want to take you into me like the Borg and make you one with me and never, ever let you go. Fusion of I and thou. And he continues, he says, human love loves other people not as free people, but as ones whom we can bind to ourselves. Friends, what we're talking about is what psychologists these days call codependency. Codependency. Codependency is this thing where we, let me look up the definition here. Da, 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 da. It's this reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. And so what happens is we come to the church looking to absorb somebody or to absorb something. We come looking for a fusion. We come to bind others to ourselves. And the place that's supposed to be the most healthy actually can become the most toxic and codependent. It's disturbing because the church, for all of its ambitions, and global domination, and the gospel will reach the ends of the earth, can be such a broken place. It's like an episode of Seinfeld, where Kramer and Newman, the two most deficient, you know, code, uh, maybe I should use the word dysfunctional men on this show, are playing Risk, the board game. And they're playing this board game, and they're at at a Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld's house. There's nowhere else to go. New York City, by the way, apartments are never that big. And they're playing Risk, and in walks Elaine, and she says, what are they doing? And Jerry says, they're playing Risk. What's Risk? She says, it's, he says, it's a game of world conquest and domination being played by two men who can't even run their own lives. Oh, what a testimony about the church. That we have these lofty, lofty visions and missions and plans and ideals. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday, about vision and ideals. And yet, in many ways, we are the ones who are the most broken. And we try to enact our ideals in so many imperfect ways. And in the end, we get frustrated because my ideals are not met what Bonifer does is he takes off the sunglasses or the rose-colored glasses and he looks you in the eye and he says, what is it that you really, really want from this relationship and this community? What is it that you deeply want? And to examine those deep things, recognize within yourself. And so there are three fill-in-the-blanks in your bulletin, in your notes. I'm sorry, no bulletin anymore. In your notes. To recognize this human love the first application is to ask myself, as I try to recognize this human love within me, the, the first one is, what are my true motives and intentions in being part of this community? What are my true motives and what are my true intentions in being part of this community? And secondly, what are the needs and desires that I'm trying to have met in this community? What are the deep needs and desires that I'm trying to have met in this community? And let me just camp on this a little bit. Because some of you at this point, you're a little confused. And you're saying, Pastor Wayne, why is it bad to have needs? Why is it bad to have legitimate needs? And the thing is, we come to church 
and I'm going to share my own testimony at the end, with needs for belonging. We come to church because we find acceptance. We need identity, belonging, acceptance, identity. These are not bad things, friends. But there's a shadow side when the need for acceptance becomes clinginess. There's a shadow side where the need for belonging becomes binding, where the need for identity becomes absorption. That's where needs and identity, I'm sorry, needs and desires should be examined by all of us. And third, how much of what I am giving to this community is driven somehow by self-interest? That by my giving to this community, I will somehow meet my need, my inordinate need for respect or acceptance or belonging. That, friends, is a black hole. It's a black hole that will never be met. So let's put this into conversation with Scripture. So we're talking about human love. Sounds like modern psychoanalysis. We're talking about the ego. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Wayne. Ego, okay. But what does Scripture have to say about all of this? And this gets us into the second half of our talk today. Bonhoeffer talks about spiritual love, which is the ideal. What does the Bible have to say about love? For that, we can see in Mark chapter 10, 45, the ideal we see, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the ideal of love in a community is serving for no other reason but to serve. No ulterior motive. Okay? And then in the end, to give our lives away as a ransom. How many of you think that's easy? How about John chapter 15? Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So, if you really love, you're going to give until it bleeds. Does that sound healthy? You're going to give to Woven Church until you are exhausted and burnt out. Why? Because the Son of Man did not come to be served and greater love has, you know, laid down your life. Is that healthy? And that's the thing with ideals. Spiritual ideals are impractical. They're not easily done. And what happens, friends, is when the practical meets the ideal, when I say this is all I can do, but the Bible says that we should give until all the way, you know, we should give until all the way to the end. Give until we lay down our lives for each other. Well, that's just impractical. And we find that we enter into a crisis. We enter into this crisis where human love basically has no, no more, no, it can't go anywhere else. It reaches the limit. And we get to this point where we say, I'm at the end of what I can do in this community. Being at the end of what I can do in this community, Jesus, you either take over my life, you help me to break through, because I can't take this church community anymore. 
I cannot live in this marriage anymore. It's going to require superhuman strength to stay married to this person. I cannot keep this friendship anymore because you exhaust me. You drain me. How am I going to exist in this relationship when I am at wit's end? I am at the end of what is humanly possible. I no longer gain from this relationship. Now I'm at that point, I'm at the point, at the threshold of spiritual love. And this is what Bonifer talks about. How do we get to the spiritual love? Two fill in the blanks real quick. First of all, it's only through the mediation of Christ. It's only through Christ that we can get past our human love into the superhuman, quote unquote. But the second thing, the second thing, listen to this, it's immensely practical. The only way we can get past our own tainted and perfect human love for a community into spiritual love, the only way is through crisis. Crisis. It's when we hit the wall and we say, I can no longer stay in this marriage anymore. It's when we hit the wall and say, I don't know if I can still be your friend. It's when we hit the wall and say, I don't know if this church is for me anymore. When we hit that wall, we are on the threshold of spiritual love. This is what Bonifer is saying. And this, friends, Listen, listen, listen carefully to me. Especially if you're Asian. Look at me. There is no shame in reaching a crisis in your community. Don't feel bad and feel like my love failed. Don't feel like I didn't go far enough. You're human. And as a result, Jesus brings you to this place where he wants to bring you into a deeper place of love, even beyond yourself. There's no shame in crisis. It's the only way forward. Or else you will say, this community doesn't work for me, so I'm going to skip out and I'm going to go to another community. And we deceive ourselves thinking that community is going to meet my needs. It won't. Because no community can fit the God-sized hole in your heart. Only God can fill that hole. And so we skip around from community to community, not facing that wall, but trying to run around it. But we come up against that wall again, only until we meet that wall and we say, either I climb this thing or break through it, but I got to get past it this time because I ain't growing any deeper. I'm not growing up. That's marriage as well. I think I'm going to trade her out for a new model. Let me see, maybe there's something that will fit my needs better. Gentlemen, husbands, if I can speak to men, there ain't any woman under this moon, under this sun, that is going to meet your appetites or your needs. Because it is within you that the desire needs to be met by God. So crisis is not bad. If you are burnt out in your relationship and you're burnt out in your church, meet it head on. Don't be afraid. But most of all, friends, especially if you're Asian, don't be ashamed. Because everybody goes through this. Everybody has to go through this. It's the only way. It's the only way we grow up. When you've hit that wall, it's good. In fact, listen to what Bonifer says. The existence of any Christian life together depends on whether it succeeds at the right time in bringing out truly spiritual community. The life or death of a Christian community is determined by whether it achieves sober wisdom on this point as soon as possible. 
In other words, it's better to be disillusioned with your relationship sooner than later. Because if you delay that process, it's just going to be more denial, more denial, more pain. Be disillusioned. I hope I can disillusion you with me sooner than later. That even as pastor of this church, I will disappoint. And you know what? I have to be okay with that. If I live my life trying to make every single one of you happy, I will not be happy and you will not be happy. So friends, get used to disappointment. It's better to go through disillusionment sooner than later because that's the only way. That's the only way forward. It is through crisis. There's no shame in that. Everybody has to go through that. Listen, just one more reading. What does spiritual love really look like, according to Bonifer, in the end? It's ultimate release. It's a relationship between me and you where there is no personal direct influence, there's no impure interference, every attempt of mine to regulate, coerce, dominate your life, it's freed from that. Friends, be free. In Jesus' name, every single one of you, be free. The other person needs to retain his independence of me, his or her independence of me. And I must leave you your freedom to be Christ's, not mine. It respects the line that has been drawn between you and me, spiritual love. I say that spiritual love creates freedom. Spiritual love creates freedom. Spiritual love creates freedom. How many of you watch Deadpool? <laughs> That's random. Totally random. I haven't watched any of the Deadpool movies. I don't plan on watching him. Deadpool is famous for breaking the fourth wall. That's like when, you know, you're watching this thing happen on the screen and then his face pops through the screen and he addresses the audience directly, right? I'm Deadpool. I'm doing that right now. I'm talking, I mean, you look at me every Sunday after Sunday like a performer on a stage, but I'm popping my face through the screen and I'm going to talk painfully and self-consciously. That when we talk about freedom, I'm self-consciously aware that that means freedom for me and my expectations as the pastor of this church. I'm painfully aware that what Bonifer is talking about is addressed not just to parishioners, but specifically to leaders of community. That when he says this, those of you who've been with Woven, now look at me, if you've been with Woven since the beginning, hear these words. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community, he demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. And this man enters the community of Christians with demands, silent demands, and then he sets up his own law, and he judges everybody, and then eventually judges God according to that law. And what happens is this man, this visionary idealist, becomes first an accuser of the brethren, 
Secondly, an accuser of God. And finally, at wit's end, an accuser of myself. You know what God is speaking to me? He's telling me to set you free and to let you go. Every single one of you. That church planting is tough, yeah. Nobody said we had to plant a church. We could have just joined another church. Well, we did this. Why? Some of you might say, because it was Pastor Wayne's idea. You're right. And I have to let you go from my idea. And you have to be free, even to leave this community. You have to be 100% free. And being free, you have to be blessed and loved. Every single one of you, no strings attached because you understand strings go two ways. It doesn't hurt you. It's actually at a point where it hurts me. I get exhausted. I get burnt out. If I have this back and forth thing, expectation, get ready for disappointment. And the only healthy church is the church that has gotten to the place where it says, be free. I can no longer control you. This week, a pastor committed suicide. I don't know if you heard the news or you saw it on your Facebook feed. And I read some of the blog posts of this pastor. I did not know him personally. He was out on the West Coast probably about 10 years, my junior, beautiful wife, children, and he killed himself. The blog posts came out, and I read them, and I was a little bit disturbed. Because, of course, whenever something like this happens, you have a pastoral failure or a suicide, or some pastor just goes off the deep end, the blog posts start churning out and saying, therefore, congregants, you should take care of your pastor up his or her pay. Give them benefits so that they can do, you know, they can get, yes, yeah, I'm thankful that I have benefits. Take care of your pastor. I'm sorry, did you hear what he did? He committed suicide. He was not murdered by the church. And if these blog posts, every time they come out, are communicating that the congregation is at fault for what happened to the pastor, that to me sounds like an indictment going the wrong way. That sounds to me like continued codependency. That sounds to me as if you can save my soul by giving me a pay raise. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The congregation cannot be indicted when a pastor commits suicide because God rest his soul. When I looked at this man, this young pastor, I saw somebody I knew. I said, I know this guy. I know him. Growing up, he was awkward. Just because he's tall and handsome or he was tall and handsome and he has a sleeve tattoo and the hipster haircut and all these things, I know when he was young, And in grade school, he did not fit in anywhere. He was a latchkey kid and so didn't have much emotional connection at home. He got into all kinds of trouble and bad things and bad influences. Until one day, somebody invited him to church and he came out to church. And he found out for the first time he was accepted. Being accepted in the church, he said, wow, this hole in my heart feels like it's filled with something. 
God. Yes, God, but also the church. Well, not only that, he learned that he was pretty good at the guitar. So he got up in the front, he began to play the guitar, and he noticed that the girls noticed him a little bit more. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you realize how neurotic people that go into ministry really are? That we go in with really, really broken needs. And so the girls started noticing him, and he found that hole that was meant to be filled with God, filled with secondary things that they recognize me, they love me. And the people said, he's pretty good. Let's put him in front of a crowd. And so he gets up in front of the church, and the hole that's in his heart that should be filled with God gets filled with affirmation from the church filled with an artificial acceptance, gets filled with praise. Great sermon today, pastor, and yet why do I feel so empty and I don't belong and I'm not accepted and I have no identity and I'm in, I, I feel rejected? Why am I feeling all these things? Because the whole is being filled with the church. In conclusion, friends, I know to talk about human love and spiritual love means I have to have a candid conversation about my relationship with all of you. And in over 10 years of pastoral ministry, this is the first time I wrote out five applications that are not for you. I wrote them for me. The last five fill-in-the-blanks for today's talk, they're addressed to me. I want to recognize spiritual love and get beyond human love, and therefore the first application to recognize spiritual love. Release them from soft shaming and silent expectations. Release them from controlling expectations. Three, release myself from ungodly expectations. Four, be more tolerant of weakness in myself and others. Five, be gentle on myself. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the only way that we can move towards spiritual health. It's by release, letting go of control. It's by freedom. It's by acceptance. Mm -hmm.